Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. The first part of this message is an introduction. And so for those that do not want the introduction, which is to all people from all backgrounds, to explain what I am sharing. You will find in the YouTube video that I put in there a link that will take you to where the worship song and the message begins. So for all those that are new, I first of all want to mention that I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book that you can read there's a lot of print that's highlighted in red. Those are actually links to YouTube videos, which are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archeology, span exposing the mastery of deception that the public has been led to believe on such things like the theory of evolution and that there are long ages, such as billions of years when the scientific evidence for dating methods and so on is very strongly pointing the other way. That's just one example. There are many answers to very hard questions, not just evidence against evolution. That's just a little part of it there. You will find it very interesting. It is all writing that is by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that is very original and unique with many answers that I have not seen or read anyone sharing that originate through the gifting of God's Spirit through me to you very good answers. So check that out and also on there there's lots of videos that I have as well basically covering the same things on ultimatemeaning.com. For those of you that are new, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in ultimate meaning and purpose and destiny that there is a God? And then the question is, if there is a God, who could this God only possibly be? Or a creator is maybe a better way of putting this word. I want to present to you that there's only one possibility that is very self-evident for those that have eyes to be open to the truth and to face the reality of ultimate love. I am talking about the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love that is the very source of reality, that is the very source of love. Yes, love is the very source of reality. But I need to define this love. For it is who only God could be. This love, first of all, is revealed by even the things we observe, the scientific law, for example, of the second law of thermodynamics, which basically states that everything left on its own goes in a direction of more and more disorder to total chaos. 
Well, here we are in a universe that is highly complex with incredible design and detail. For example, in your cells. You know what's in your cells? You got the mitochondria, you got the genes. The, with genetic information, you got within your cells little robots with arms and legs walking on tracks and they even even the tracks are created to go around things these little robots are given an address to go somewhere with a particular package forget the name of it now i'm trying to remember the name of this particular robot there's a number of different robots in your cells machinery that man could never come close to making is inside your cells doing amazing things you know your cell is so small you can't see it and yet that's what's happening in your cells. And those little robots, if they were walking and were our size, would be going, at, according to what I saw, at genesisciencenetwork.com, at a speed of 2,000 miles per hour, carrying these little packages, repairing things, taking down addresses, taking things somewhere, and so on. And that's just one aspect. There's many other types of machines functioning in your cells. So here we are. We should have been in complete chaos in the past, but here we are in a highly designed, very complex universe that is obviously pointing towards ultimate reality, ultimate intelligence. So, this reality, what is reality? Well, if you look up in the dictionary the definition of the word truth, many dictionaries will say it's that which is real or reality and so on. So you look up the definition of the word reality, and it means basically that which is absolute, which is indestructible, which is immovable. The very source of this universe is obviously the ultimate reality. And that is also the name for the one true God in the Bible in the First Testament. It is pronounced Yahweh more accurately. Some pronounce it Jehovah. In the English, it's usually the word Lord. And often there's two words together in the English, the word Lord and the word God. The word Lord is usually Yahweh, and the word for God is Elohim, and the word Elohim means almighties, plural. And I will show you why that is referring, not to three gods, but one God, even though it is mentioned in the plural, a little later on in what I'm sharing here. So I mentioned that the source of reality is this ultimate perfection of love. So I want to define in a very integral, scientific way what love could only possibly be in its highest and purest form. It would certainly be something that is totally free to choose. But it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Because any lesser choice as such 
would obviously have a measure of corruption in it, for a lesser choice would have, obviously, lost, thus corruption. This quality always freely chooses the highest lasting good. It is so pure in its integrity that, as it were, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this quality that always chooses the highest lasting good, which is the ultimate perfection of love. It's beyond feeling, which is the Greek word for philio, the second kind of love, and then eros, the lower kind of love, which is the sexual. Agape love is the highest form of love. <clears throat> this love will not condone what is contrary to it, what is contrary to love. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption because corruption is the destroyer of good. But love is the very source of this love that I'm talking about and its purity and its integrity is the very source of life. It is the very source of beauty. It is what ensures a foundation from which can spring ever-enlarging creativity that can go on and ever-enlarge without corruption. So then why are we here in a universe where we see so much corruption? Because God, being love, did not create us to be as robots. Because robots do not have the capacity to love. There's just an input of information in and out. The source of being man. And of course, all this AI stuff that they think is so great and they're going to take over the world. These robots might take over the world. Oh no, help us. We've created our own God and it's going to destroy us. My oh my. Some God that is that doesn't have the capacity to love and that might destroy you. Because what does man put into the robot? He puts into the robot all kinds of lies and deceptions, which is why they were wondering why their AI technology was deceiving them and creating things that weren't true, which is what's been happening if you've been following that field. Well, of course, because you are corrupt. But why is man corrupt? Why is there corruption in the creation? Because God wants beings that are not robots, but beings that have the capacity to love which means you are then the source of your own action. The source of your own action. Because you cannot, you have to have the potential to choose, to love. You have to be, you have to be the source of your own choices. Therefore, we cannot blame God for creating the devil, for he created the being with its own free will. Nor can we blame God for all the corruption, for what God creates is totally good. But when he creates beings with love, there's the potential to make choices that are destructive against who God is. And that results in a hell-contagious state of being that brings torment and corruption and death, and that can go on forever if we refuse to receive this love who God is. 
God's intention is to bring all of us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All of us into harmony with his love, and he has a plan for that. He didn't create us without knowing the end from the beginning. So this allows me to now introduce the other aspect of this love, this first aspect of love and its integrity, which is the holiness of God's love, is represented in the negative symbol in math and in nature and in electronics, etc. Everything in creation involves negatives and positives to even form a baby in the womb. Certain things self-destruct or, you know, self-sup are planned to shape that baby in the womb. That's not corruption there. But the negative symbol is the first symbol representing the integrity of God's love that will not tolerate rebellion against his love, that will not tolerate, tolerate corruption, which is against your own soul and will bring you into everlasting torment if you hold on to your life in your own self-seeking ways in rebellion against this ultimate love. But this love is transcendent in its integrity without violating its integrity in this, that God is so great, yes. And let us just consider for a moment how great God is. Do you, you realize how vast this universe is? Most people do, right? I mean, light travels at such a fast speed that it goes around the world seven times in one second. And yet it takes five years to get to the closest star, which is like our sun, and many stars are hundreds of times bigger than our sun. And in our own Milky Way galaxy, there's estimated to be between 200 and 400 billion stars. And there are billions of galaxies. Do you know how much they estimate there is of stars in the universe that they can see only with their telescopes and they can't see it all? Enough for every grain of sand to have a thousand stars, many of them way bigger than our sun. Enough for every person in the world, seven billion people, to have, I forget if it's 80 trillion or 18 trillion that I remember them saying, stars to their own name. And yet here we have a creator. Yes, he is so great that he can communicate with his creation. He did in Genesis 18. Abraham is there at his tent door in the heat of the day. And he sees three men standing before him. They're very majestic. Don't look like normal human beings. He bows before them and says, can I make a really good meal for you? Read it in Genesis 18. He makes them a wonderful meal. Has his servants prepare things. And they eat together. And he addresses one of them as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for the one true eternal God. And yes, God is so great in his love that he came in Jesus Christ. But before I explain him coming in Jesus Christ, I now want to go back to the word Elohim, which means the Almighty's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God. You see, for God to be almighty, he must also be in three personages, 
because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, beyond time and space. First aspect of existence, in creation, in time and space. Second, and in omnipresence is the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, the originator of all, the source of all, that sees the end from the beginning in every detail. And God the Son is the full quality and the one and only quality of the being of the Father. The fullness, the full expression of the Father is described in Hebrews 1.3. The word Son basically means expression. The word Son basically means word, and Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. Is expressed into this time and space realm, into this creation realm, to communicate with his creation on a limited creature level and to experience what the creation has experienced and also to have fellowship and so on on a more personal creature level. Not that the Father doesn't have personal fellowship with us. It's just as personal with the Father. But his function is mainly within the creation realm. One God. And if you were God, and you wanted to rule in these three ultimate aspects of existence, you would certainly have to be in personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence. Because if you can't be in conscious intelligence in those three aspects of existence, you could not rule in them. You need to be in personage. And so as the Holy Spirit is in omnipresence attached to every particle of existence, and of course there are many dimensions of existence far superior to the physical dimension, which I mention in my book, which you can get on the internet, on Amazon, called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. 368 pages, large 6 by 9 paperback. And I go into particle physics and what they've analyzed, what they've discovered, how people, when they die, find themselves in a realm that is... You can't even put number to it let's say 50 times more real than this realm, for example. One fellow compared it this way. He said, the physical realm is like 2D paper as opposed to 3D. That's how much more real it is. And heaven is a wonderful place and it is beyond your comprehension. In reality, in love and in pleasure that you experience, in communion with God and with one another. And yes, God is so great that he came down in his son into this world and was tempted in all points as we are without sin. And as it were, carried the first man, Adam, in which the whole human race originated and exists in his obedience of union with the Father unto the death on the cross. He became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you. on the cross so that you could repent and receive his forgiveness and cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask you to cleanse me of all my sin, to forgive me and to become the central treasure of my life. And I will make you the center treasure of my life and of my motivations the rest of my life. Come into my life. And if you pray a prayer like that, he will come into your life. And you can, an ultimate meaning, Dot com under the contact link. Have music with a prayer that you can pray if you want to do it that way. But I want to share with you 
about this love. He suffered more than you, a mere creature. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. Took sin upon himself so that you could be reconciled to God. So that you could know a wonderful communion and fellowship of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in you. As Christ said, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. My heart is being touched right now for you with tears. I pray that you come to Christ, that you find reality, not religion. So I'm sharing here about God's love. Do you know that people that have died, who have been highly confirmed, have been dead, like Dean Braxton that's in this book that I wrote, and others, Dale Black and so on. When they stood before Jesus Christ in paradise, sometimes outside the city walls, other times, I, I think in most cases it was in paradise just outside before they entered, they entered later in some cases before they were returned to their body. But when they stood before Jesus Christ, the love was so great. This love cannot be described in this dimension. It was so intense that they knew that Christ loved them so much that it was like they were the only one he created. It was like they were the very center of God's delight and affection, the apple of his eye. And they really did know that if he only created them, he would have done this for them. That's the love that God has. Yes, his love has integrity. And there is judgment. And there is a place of eternal separation from God and hell. If you reject his love, but why would you do that when he's loved you that much? I don't think you would. Anyone in the rational mind wouldn't just so you can have a temporary bit of pleasure and be controlled by other powers of darkness by the bait of some temporal pleasure that will manipulate your life to total destruction? I don't think so. I don't think that would be good. If you're weak and you feel you can't let go of things, you cry unto God and you say, God, change my heart, take away the desire of this addiction, and he will take it away. I'm sorry, but I, my heart is being touched. as I am speaking in the Spirit of God to you today. I guess I shouldn't apologize for tears. Tears of joy and of love. So this is the good news that I'm sharing with you, that you can be reconciled to God. And so now I want to introduce to those that are have come to receive the one true God through Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. I should mention this too. Well, what you say, what about those before Christ came? Yes, they also heard the good news. This gospel is an everlasting gospel. It even existed before the world was created. 
What is that everlasting gospel? It is that there is one true God, not three. One true God. And that God only has the power to forgive. And the reason he has the power to forgive, I've just described to you. Because it was always in his being a reality. Not just a plan, a reality. That he could love you that much that he would come on the cross and die for you. And it says that Jesus Christ was slain before the world was created, it says in literal words, before the foundation of the world, which is basically saying that. Yes, this gospel, this good news, that you can be reconciled to God, has been before the world was created. And it's going to go on in the new heavens and the new earth, where we will be in love with God and his creation forever and ever and ever. The word of God says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, shall be saved, or on the name of Jesus Christ, Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shall be saved. I want you to know that. Please, you know, email me or something, and let me know if you receive Christ in your life. I have my two sites, ultimatemeaning.com and loverealize.com. You can fill out the contact form there. But I want to talk to those that have come to receive Christ and just share with you briefly how I share these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This is particularly referring to believers when they come together to meet. But it would also have referred to believers wherever they are that they're to allow God and to cultivate God speaking through them, to bring life to others, to not just have vain, empty words that don't touch the lives of others with what is going to affect them in a way that blesses them. So God is calling us to be those that allow his spirit to speak through us. That's why I don't prepare anything in these messages. Because I want to have, I want to be speaking out of relationship of love with God to you. Now, There's another scripture that says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's in Revelations 19.10. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of true reverence and humility and love for God, if we know Jesus Christ, we are filled with the spirit and an overflow that comes forth in creative utterances from God. And we need to learn to cultivate that overflow. It doesn't mean foretelling the future. To speak prophetically means to speak out of the Spirit of God instead of out of our own mere intellect. That's what it means. So I, to facilitate speaking prophetically, or as the other scripture says, as the oracles of God, meditate on 
two chapters, I cast lots using two independent random applications, and then I meditate on those two chapters for a half an hour and might cut and paste some scriptures in a few notes, and then I preach without any, hardly any preparation. Well, nothing but that. Now, recently I've been only doing one message a week because trying to do, get other things accomplished. So I'm going to touch on what I receive, but the other thing is, is I, I cast lots with two independent applications because the possibility of any chapter in the Bible, I cast it before God in great reverence and pray in a reverent way over it that God might be in the casting of the lot to get two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to what God is saying by his Spirit. So that's how I do my messages. And I this time it was... I got a lot of scriptures that bear, bore witness with each other, but sometimes it's a little more difficult, even though they may strongly bear witness with each other. To, so I, I don't know what I'm going to say. But I'm trusting God that he's going to say what he's wanting to say to the churches across Canada and across the United States in this hour of grave crisis, and you better wake up if you have yourself sleep still because you only have to look around you to know we're living in a very urgent time where there could be great tragedy happening in the nations of the world and in people's lives and we've already seen lots of it and I don't want to get into all of that on a YouTube video here so what I want to share with you is that I also cast lots to receive a worship song before the message. And so I'm going to play that worship song first. I have right now 153 or 154 songs on my website. They're all songs that can be played on YouTube if you have an overhead projector that show the words. And I'm very fussy. They have to be really good songs that have meaning and depth in the words. Some of them are really great. Others are okay, but they're still great. You know, they're a lot better than the typical modern songs. And a lot of churches today, they get caught up in all kinds of electronics and banging drums and all this. You know, just have some beautiful instruments. And that's what are in these songs. And not all the complication of electronics and all this. Just beautiful instruments worshiping God with and moving in the spirit can come out of that. Of course, that's not what will happen when we're here right now, I don't think. Although I will speak in the spirit of the message after. So I just want to um, go to that song now. I see it there, one sec. We'll bring it up and I will minimize myself soon. One sec here.
So, what a wonderful relationship we can have with the Lord. I want to share with you that I found that a lot of the scriptures this week were revealing the Antichrist spirit and what we're up against. And God is therefore needing to raise a standard up by his spirit. The word of God says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. The typical churches in the United States and Canada, and for most of the world, I would say, are not fulfilling Christ's prayer in John 17. Especially in this hour of crisis, it should be that we are awakened. What does it say in Isaiah 60? It says, Arise and shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What is the context of that verse? It says before that, that gross darkness shall cover the earth. Hopelessness. We've seen it as never before covering the earth. And God is calling you as an individual and also as an assembly to wake up and never be the church the way you used to be the church. 
but become wholehearted to let out, remove all the restrictions that would limit the fullness of God's dwelling in you as an individual and also corporately. It's not a boring life, brothers and sisters. Christ came to give his life more abundantly. It's a boring life when you're half asleep. That's a boring life. When the church is asleep and not wholehearted, it's a boring church service, usually. Yeah, you can fall asleep hearing the message. God is calling us to wake up, brothers and sisters, in this hour. And so part of raising that standard up by the might and the power of his spirit also requires as assembly for us to come into a new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. Now, I've written a book on that as well. I've got three books on the internet. The other one's a very small one. And actually, there's a good number of other books that I have already the writing for, but I never got around to it for a time. One is on the fear of God and so on. And a more, but I don't want to get into that. Um, so, God is wanting us as His people in this hour to come into this new order. And the book I've written is titled "God Headship and Body Invasion," and it's all of, it's two hundred over two hundred and fifty pages, large six by nine paperback, uh, in outline form, very small print as well in the outline. But very yes, you know, I don't need to go around. I don't even know if I have it here right now. I do have one of the older ones here. Um, and so I, it's called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. There's a different cover on it. Now a little bit different looking, but that's what it's like. And you, you, you can see that there's also in the book a lot of very small print as well. But God, Headship, and Body Invasion. Vision, everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. God is seeking for his dwelling place. He wants to find your assembly as a place in which his glory can come down at fullness and dwell in your midst. Now, I have my own suggestion that I'll just put out before you here just to give you a brief idea. I emphasize that it has to be now that in the meetings, we are more conscious of Christ in our midst than we are of what is happening on the stage of the front. And so I suggest various things. We start with prayer. Forget about pre-service prayer meeting. Make your church service a prayer meeting. If you're coming to church, you're coming first to pray because it's part of the service. You need to know the awe of his presence, whose presence you're in. In this hour, God wants to restore the genuine fear of God. I can't get into all that right now. But he wants us to be restored to the awe of his presence, to being sensitized to whose presence we're in, so that we are not presumptuous to hastily utter anything. For as it says in Ecclesiastes, let thy words be few. Not be, do not be hasty to honor anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. We come in prayer with great awe and reverence of whose presence we're in, so that we become conscious more of Christ in our midst, of Yahweh the Almighty's 
And then we pray, and one prays out, and everyone stands with him, and we seek to only pray out as we sense the Spirit rising in us to pray. And another prays out, and another, and everyone stands behind them saying an amen or whatever. Then maybe after an hour of prayer, or if that's too much at the beginning, uh, three quarters of an hour, then you start to get into worship, into song. And I suggest the casting of lot for songs in reverence before God and that there is great variety of songs and that all the songs have meaning and depth like they do on my website. And God will be in the casting of the lot. Now you may not feel to do it that way or someone can just sing out a song because they sense the spirit rising and then another one sings out a song and we sing with them. Yes, the leadership can have people at the front leading the music, but they better be in the spirit. We don't put people up at the front because they've got a smiley face or because they uh, have all this talent with instruments. That should be a second criteria, not the first. And God is calling us as his people to begin to flow in creative worship and not to just have any old song and the same old songs every week, but it is important that there's worship, and out of that worship will come the gifts of the Spirit, and it must be facilitated in an assembly. There must be the facilitation of every member functioning in their gifts, as the Word of God emphasizes in many places in the New Testament, such as Ephesians 4, the effectual working in the measure of every part. And so God is calling his people and those in leadership to facilitate because we're so used to being passive. Maybe you need to, because we're so used to being passive, you, you have to have a little meeting where everyone gets to share a five-minute message, whatever's on their heart. Or maybe you point out in this section over here, we want you to just sing out a love song unto God. Don't worry about it. Just sing it out. However it sounds, doesn't matter. But sing out a love song unto God, and we're going to join with you. And you can just spontaneously make up the words as you're worshiping. But as things go on and people start to move and stir up the gifts of the Spirit, then there's the word of exhortation, the testimonies, the prayers, the prophecies, whatever word comes forth that comes from the Spirit of God. And that will bring confirmation because people will discover that the same message is coming from each other without knowing it, and that it will even confirm the message the pastor is about to speak. I've seen this happen in a church I went to many times. And then the pastor can speak his message, or whoever else. And here's another thing. After the different prophetic words are given by the pastors, he learns to speak out of the Spirit. The church doesn't just go home. They have a meal together every blinking time, yes. That should be normal. It's not a lot of work to have a bunch of paper plates and to bring a little bit of food. I knew a church years ago that did that and we had a feast and people were having fellowship and I suggest this too because people tend to be clickish. They just want to sit with their friends. You cast lots so everyone gets a certain position to eat their food with certain people they haven't eaten with before. 
And then you can go to your friends and have your dessert with your friends later. So you get both, right? This is the way the church should be. There should be the fullness. Just pull out all the barriers and let's express a wholehearted love to God and each other. Yeah, have the church service starting at 2 and ending at around 6. Why not? It's a better time. Everyone can prepare more. But that is just something I share with you. Now, I've been preaching for a long time. <clears throat> but I'm still going to touch on what God gave me. And so I want to um, go to what I received by the casting of Lot this week. I won't touch on every day of the week. On some passages... We start with Monday, August the 7th. I received Numbers 22 and 2 Thessalonians 2. Both chapters are about deception being given to those that did not want the truth, but put pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh, I've forgotten what it's about, but we'll start reading. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass? These three times. Behold, I went out to the withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. This is speaking of Balaam. The king wanted him to curse Israel. And of course, what happened is it was in his heart to want to receive honor from the king. And God saw what is in his heart and said, Okay, it's still in your heart, therefore. I'll let you go, but he's angry because he knows he's going with the intent to curse Israel. And so this angel stands in the way, and the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee. That's the angel speaking to Balaam. And saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodst in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it please thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the man, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balaam. And of course, we know what happened. He could not curse Israel, because the tabernacle of God was dwelling in their midst, they were walking a holy walk at that time, generally. And there was great sacrifice to have the presence of the tabernacle in their midst. And that's another whole topic. Eventually there was rebellion and the tabernacle was then moved outside the camp and those that were seeking God would come to the tabernacle. And God is calling us as his people in this hour to be those that allow his glory to be in our midst so that he does not have to withdraw the cloud of his glory so that the remnant will come forth and follow that cloud. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12, we read of the Antichrist and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. What do we hear a lot about today like it's fact? 
the fake pseudoscience theory of evolution, which if you watch Genesis Science Network, I have the links on both my websites. On the homepage there, it's 24-7, talking to many high-quality scientists around the world, showing the absolute ridiculousness of the theory of evolution now because of some very powerful recent discoveries, especially. And I could name a whole, <coughs> a whole bunch here, but I forbear for time. There's the James Webb Space Telescope, which has totally destroyed the Big Bang Theory. So that the biggest proponents of it no longer believe in it. It's a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble Telescope and is a million miles away from the Earth, a special mirror that has to be at minus, well, it's cold as possible, minus two something, but there's a one mirror that has to be cooled to minus 327. And I don't know if it's Fahrenheit or Celsius. Okay, that's just one thing. The fact that they found blood and soft tissue and dinosaurs, which can only exist for thousands of years, can only exist for between 6,000 and 10,000 years at the most. In all kinds of dinosaurs. And I could go on. I don't want to go into that. So we have this deception that God's going to give them strong delusion to believe a lie in the last days. That they all might be condemned who love not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And what is happening is there is a greater and greater hardening. Now we go to August the 8th, and it's Habakkuk 2 and Proverbs 30 plus 2 Thessalonians 3. Now there wasn't as a significant witness here. Um, sometimes I think I fail God, and then the casting of the lot isn't so strong. <laughs> you know, I'm human too, and I repent of things. But anyhow, the common theme that I found here was putting trust in Yahweh. And so in Habakkuk 2.4 it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. And it's describing a king which has the spirit of the Antichrist in him. God goes on to reveal that he has a plan. And here's his plan in Habakkuk 2.13-14. Behold, is it not of Yahweh of hosts, that the people shall labor in the very fire, labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here you have prophecies of the immediate judgment that God is going to bring upon, I believe it is, Nineveh, or is it, and also probably Israel. But also it goes, and then it points to prophecies in the distant future. For the time when God will, his glory will fill the whole earth, when Christ returns to the earth. We go on and we read in Habakkuk this, is what God says. Woe unto him that saith to the wood awake, to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach, behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. 
God is wanting to return to his habitation. What does it say in the New Testament? That we are built together as living stones for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And what I described of what should be in a church congregation is to enhance and to bring this mighty outpouring of the Spirit that will raise up a standard against the enemy that has corrupted all the institutions, medical, governments around the world. What is going to destroy the Antichrist system that is totally corrupt is when the glory of the Lord fills his temple. And a lot of people today are saying, oh, wow, aren't we great? Man is so great. Now we have AI, and it's not like the dumb idols. It can speak and so on. But what is it speaking? A bunch of lies to you because you inputted lies into it. And that's a problem they're having. There's things that are being created by AI technology now, and they read this book that the AI created, and it's a bunch of lies because you put lies into it. So that's worse than something that's dumb because now you're not just worshiping something that's dumb, you're worshiping something that lies to you and point and therefore can manipulate you to destruction. Yeah. And in Proverbs 30, it says, Who hath ascended into heaven? Or descended, who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? This is in Proverbs. If thou canst tell, we know who the son is. The very full expression of God the Father, of Yahweh. In fact, Jesus Christ said that he is the I am that I am. Which is the word for Yahweh. Which is the description of referring to Yahweh, put it that way. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Are we going to put our trust in the things of this world, in the governments of this world, when they become so corrupt? No. No one wants to trust in that. It is of the Lord of hosts that he's allowed this so that people would find and discover who is ultimately trustworthy. The love I described of this one true God in its negative and positive aspect, and I should say that in the plus symbol, which is made by crossing out the negative symbol, that that symbol is the last letter of the alphabet in the most ancient languages, including the Hebrew, going back to 1500 BC, 2000 BC, and earlier. And it's, it's the Phoenicians had that, and others all in that surrounding area in the Hebrews as well. And it means sign or symbol, referring to the ultimate symbol of God in his love, that he is merciful, that you can be reconciled to God. There's nothing more positive than this love. And this love, there is no love that can be imagined that is greater in it, that could exist, that could be greater. And only this love could be entrusted with unlimited life and power and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the very source and therefore the very source that can only be trusted. 
Only that quality of love is ultimately trustworthy. Anyhow, I could go on and talk for a long time here. I'm only to Wednesday, and I don't know. I'm going to have to skip fast because I know I've been talking for some time. The common theme found in these chapters is about Jerusalem. In 1 Kings 11 and in Nehemiah 11. In, in 1 Kings 11, it is about the rending of the kingdom because Solomon was deceived by women and started to commit and worship their false gods. God's anger was kindled and he caused the kingdom to be divided so that Judah had Jerusalem and the other tribes were separated from being inheritors of the city of Jerusalem. And so it says here, but I will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. There's so much here. They cast lots for those that would volunteer to live in the city of Jerusalem. It seems that most people didn't want to live in the city, maybe because there was some constriction being in a walled city. But they willingly offered themselves to dwell within the city of Jerusalem. Are we willing to offer ourselves to bring about in these last days, the dwelling of God in our midst so that the enemy cannot curse us as Balaam sought to curse Israel. Are we willing? Or must the cloud of glory leave your congregation? Or as it says in Revelations, that I will remove your candlestick, your lamp, if you do not repent. And he calls the church of Ephesus back to their first love. And he is calling us to come back to our first love. And not fall into the two churches that will be in the last days. One will be like the church of Philadelphia. The others will be like the church of Laodicea. With all kinds of counterfeit gifts and counterfeit miracles. And fake stuff that lacks the reverence and the fear of God. And I'm not going to get into all of that. When they were in heaven, Dean Braxton, the Lord told him, there's going to be churches and they're going to more and more become just like the church of Philadelphia or they're going to go the other way and become like the church of Laodicea. So we are going to see far greater deception come into the body of Christ and counterfeit miracles, counterfeit gifts, that doesn't mean there isn't a genuine. Of course there is. All the more so. Then I received Daniel 8, which is the Antichrist magnifying himself, even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down, and an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of the transgression and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another said unto that certain saint, which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, 
and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. Now Israel has not yet restored the temple for animal sacrifices, but they're very close to it now. They got the red heifers. They're planning to start at sacrificing animals on Shiloh in the tent that was there before the tabernacle was built. And so you can see how this will happen in the near future. And then the Antichrist will come into the temple and say that he is God to the whole world and do abominations to remove and desolate the animal sacrifices that Israel will return to. That is in the very near future. August 10th, Thursday. John 9 and Jeremiah 8, both of these chapters are on willful blindness against the truth. And amazingly, I have a couple that comes all the way from Burnaby to have fellowship with me on Thursdays at 1.30, and we didn't even, we just started talking. And we started talking about this very topic of deception. And of um, that wasn't the only topic we talked about, but I do remember this topic was, to, was, uh, was there. And this is what this is about. Now God, because he's foreknown the end from the beginning, says concerning the blind man, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Does that mean that God isn't visiting the iniquity of the children unto the first, second, and third, and fourth generation of them that hate him? Of course it doesn't negate that. It just happens to be that in this case, this man, God foreknew that Christ would come to him and lay hands on him. And that it wasn't because of that that he was blind. That's all Christ is saying. Then he goes on to say, I must work the works of him that has sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. And when the Antichrist comes, it's going to be pretty hard to reap the harvest. Even now, the Antichrist spirit is so increasing in the world that it is becoming dark and harder. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then, of course, again, <clears throat> Christ talks about blindness further down in John. And I forbear to talk too long because I'm concerned about how long this message is. So you have them saying he's not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. As if healing someone on the Sabbath is somehow in disobedience to God. It was their own rules they made, not what's in the word of God. I'm going to skip all of this because it's just too much for time for me to go into this. I've been speaking for a really long time. August the 11th, I forgot to put what day it is, but that would have been yesterday, Friday. I didn't make any comment, although I did find some common theme among all of this. Um, I think I'll just skip that one and go to where I've made comment, and that is today, Saturday, where I received Psalm 69, 2 John 1, and then I wanted more insight and received Daniel 8. In these chapters is seen the Antichrist spirit that persecutes the righteous and the secret to overcoming this. And so David is being persecuted by 
obviously even then the Antichrist spirit. And so he describes the terrible persecution he's going through. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. I can't go into too much description here. But he describes them mocking him and all of these things happening. He says, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters, hallelujah. And indeed the Lord will bring deliverance for he hears the cry of the righteous. There's so much here. And of course, in 2 John 1, 4-7, it describes Again, the importance of walking in the truth. I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and anti-Christ. Those that do not acknowledge that God in the flesh conquered corruption and sin. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh that, was, that came to this world. And he conquered by his righteous free will in loving union with the Father. Corruption by total obedience to the Father, though tempted in all points as we are without sin, even to death on the cross, which I described earlier in the introduction. He's calling us to be those that know his indwelling in our lives that allows us to have the same union to overcome all things. We should settle for nothing less, brothers and sisters. And again, when I cast lots, it's describing the Antichrist. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily, we had that earlier this week. I got it twice by the casting of Lot. God is warning that the spirit of the Antichrist is rising in the world and that we are to be those that are walking in such a relationship with God that we overcome this. And so this was doubled this week, this chapter 8. I received it earlier and read from it. So brothers and sisters, God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. Oh boy, I hope it's not too long. So... You can support me by purchasing my book on the afterlife. I do have an author link on both of my websites. If you're having a problem finding it, those links will certainly take you to it. That's Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable and Godheadship and Body Invasion. Thank you for listening to this message.